You're listening to Pros Like Us, brought to you by NFL Draft Blitz. And now, without any further ado, here's Alex and Lou. That's right, gang. We are back and better than last week. We hope we've reached the end of the regular season, zooming into the playoffs. And yes, Black Monday came and it was pretty dark and it stretched into uh, Tuesday. And here we're recording on Wednesday. I haven't seen any more firings, but a lot of coaches out. We'll be talking about those. We've also got a special guest and we'll go to him right now. He's a linebacker for the Clemson Tigers, pride of Sharpsburg, Georgia, two-time national champ, number 47, James Skalski. James, welcome to Pros Like Us. Oh, it's awesome to be here, man. Quite the intro there. I appreciate that. Glad we could bring you in. First off, what did you make of the championship game? Well, last night, I thought it was a hell of a game. I was talking to my buddies building up to the game, and I, I really thought Georgia – would pull it out this time. You know, I think everyone can hang their hat on Bama, but it just felt like Georgia was ready for this one. But now it's a great game, and uh, there's good football. Well, you guys played Georgia. I think it was the first game of the year. Do you have any sense maybe this was going to be a special year for them? Yeah, I mean, everyone remembers that was that game ended 10-3. to 3. I think a lot of people wrote us off really early, but looking back at that score, I think you have a little more uh, appreciation for the Tigers <laughs> at the end of the year. But, no, yeah, going into that one and then moving forward after that game, you get a good sense. You know, that was a, that's a championship-caliber team, you know, from top down. They got dudes everywhere. So, I mean, just congrats to them, and they deserve it. You guys played in a bowl game this year, okay? I guess the trend has been for guys that are going to the NFL to sit those games out. You guys end up winning, but you got hurt in the game. First off, how are you doing physically? I'm doing good. You know, I'm resting up a little bit, but I'm I'm good. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be primed, ready to go for you know things that you know I need to be ready for. And that was never really like our thought. It's I think it's all about perspective when you get a chance to play in it, play football. So I think Coach Sweeney did such a good job at creating that perspective. And you can look at it a couple of ways. You can look at all right, I gonna opt out because I got you know money on the line, which is respectable, but. I think a lot of Clemson chooses to look at it as I get a chance to play this game I love, play with my brothers and my teammates. I get a chance to represent a school that I love and I believe in. And I think when you put it that way, it sounds crazy to opt out, you know. And that's, I'm just speaking on behalf of, you know, Clemson and those guys. James, have you picked out a training facility yet? Are you training somewhere already? So I'm at home for a week or so. I got a guy here just resting up my foot. And then uh, by the end of this month, I will be in Tampa training with Yo Murphy at Yo Murphy Performance. Why did you choose that specific facility? Just my agents connected with them, and uh, I mean, he feels real good about it. I had some great talks with them. I need to get out of you know Clemson to Georgia. You know, I grew up in Georgia, and then I've been in Clemson the last six years. So I needed a change of scenery. I needed. Uh, and I got hooked up with Joe Murphy and, and my agent. And, you know, I think we believe in the plan we got put out ahead. So you've had a stellar career, James, and you've been picked to go to one of the All-Star games in Pasadena, California. It's the NFLPA Bowl. Are you going to be able to participate in that? Are you going to be able to practice and play in that game? 
Yeah, so that's like a day-to-day kind of thing. Um, I want to with all my heart, but I got also got to, you know, make sure that I'm ready to perform at, you know, uh, maybe a combine or the pro day, definitely the pro day and stuff, just make sure I can, you know, be at peak performance for myself. So I'm not saying no, but uh, it's a day-by-day kind of thing. But you are going to be able to participate, right? Go there, interview with teams and scouts. Oh, yeah, I will be there, and I'll be very involved in that whole process. Yes, sir. What does that mean to you personally, being selected to one of the major all-star games out there? Yeah, I think it's awesome to just be recognized for uh, work you put in, kind of like your love and your passion for what you do. It's an honor, and it's awesome to you know, be able to represent the PA Bowl and you know college football and uh, just myself. And, you know, in a competitive setting, I mean, it's just there's not much you could ask for as a competitor and as a, as a player who wants to go to the next level. So I'm just real excited that, to show everyone, you know, who I am, what I'm about. James, I saw a picture. Looks like you broke into somebody's jewelry box or something. Said out of fingers. <laughs> How many rings did you end up with in your career? And uh, which one is the most special to you? So I think this last one. It's cheesy bowl. That's number 11 total. And, you know, there's natties in those 11. There's ACC championships. You know, there's Fiesta Bowl playoff games. But to be completely honest with you, I think my favorite one is this last one, this cheesy bowl win, just the kind of year it was, just to see like how much stuff was stacked against us and to still, you know, pull out 10 wins and to do it the way we did and, you know, people go down, it doesn't matter, next man up, and just everyone has each other's back, and everyone's fighting for each other. It's just, it was such a special season for me and the guys, and uh, just to end it that way, this is definitely, it's got to be my favorite ring. All right, let's take you back. Sugar Bowl a couple of years ago, the hit on Justin Fields. Take us through the play. What was your responsibility on the call, and then how it played out kind of frame by frame? If I remember correctly, we're running some cover three blitz, four and a three deep. I'm a weak hook curl player. Man, I'm just kind of getting my drop related to my coverage. I think it's kind of like a three by one. So I'm, I'm moving that way. And then when I, you know, peek back to see, you know, what he's up to, he's starting to scramble and take off. I just come out of my coverage and try to square him up. And I squared him up. I just got to keep my head up a little longer. Uh-huh. And uh, so, I mean, that's the gist of it, really. Just in coverage and came out. And, uh, I mean, he's a really talented athlete in space. And I mean, he's a hard guy to bring down. And, you know, I got to be better, you know, with form and stuff. But, yeah, that's the gist of that one, though. It's a monster hit, right? And, you know, the college rule for targeting, it, it, is, it is what it is. But if you're a linebacker, you've got a guy, tremendous athlete, you just said it, flying at you. How difficult is it to get yourself in proper form and not get called for targeting? I think it's difficult. Yes, it's something you gotta you gotta do personally though. Like I, I gotta keep my head up. You know, there I, I did all the hard work and right and the the easiest thing I can do throughout that whole situation is just keep my head up. So if I figure that part out, you know, I'm solid. And then it's something I worked at really a lot this year, and I was in situations this year where I had some hits where. I mean, it was obvious I was keeping my head up and out of it, and I think, you know, it really paid off. And it's there to protect you. Yeah, it's probably a difficult thing to do to make it perfect, but it's it's necessary 
if you want to play the game for a long time and play it in a healthy way. And uh, as much as I hate it, I appreciate the concern and the the rule. So that was in the first half. You know, adrenaline's pumping. You get the call. The next thing you know, you're finding out you can't play in the game anymore. What was going through your mind as you walked back to the sideline and then eventually to the locker room? Funny enough, I had some experience in the uh, getting kicked out of the game for targeting category. You know, because the year before it had happened to me. <laughs> I was back-to-back at versus LSU in the national championship. So two years ago at LSU, I was a little younger. I didn't realize I – I guess I should have known, but I didn't realize the camera was on you so long. So I guess I was a little more animated and, uh, you know, upset. Two years ago with, with the field hit in Ohio State, I uh, – and I just knew there's a lot of cameras on me, eyes on me. So, you know, I just didn't want to be emotional and irrational. I just wanted to, hey, man, it, it is what it is. That's what just happens. Just, you know, be composed, be there for your teammates, you know, be an extension of the coach. Just do what you can while you can when you're here, you know. Maybe kicked out of the game, but I can still help in some way, and that's what I was just trying to do. How would you describe your game overall and then, I guess, finally how that translates to the NFL? I used to think I was just this crazy, amped-up wrecking ball, you know? But I think as I've gotten older, I think I have a lot more cerebral approach to the game. You know, I think it really is a game of chess, and when you understand that as a player – you can just get a beat. And don't get me wrong, you need all the emotion in the world and all the juice in the world to play the game at a high level and play it violently. And I am all those things. But, uh, man, I would describe my kind of like a field general, I think. You know, I, I'm a guy who kind of keeps it glued together. Yeah, I, I'm good at op- running the show is what I like to call it. You know, operating the defense. I know numbers and leverages and, you know, all that makes sense to me. And, and that's all the NFL, that's all football is, right? It's out leveraging people and outnumbering people and, you know, putting people in tough spots. So I would describe my game as a field general and moving to the next level. I think just my ability to recognize and diagnose and get people lined up and just my understanding for football. And like I said, the chess game that's happening, you know, will, will help me, you know, be a impacting role wherever I'm at. We interview a lot of athletes here, James, on this podcast, and a lot of football players that run track, play basketball, play baseball, but we've never interviewed anybody that played soccer, even in high school. You did. What position did you play? In high school, high school soccer is a little bit of a joke, you know, as far as the competition level. Uh, So I played striker in high school, but I played really competitive soccer growing up at a R3PL level, so I played all the way up through high school, but I played center back in that aspect, you know, in that scenario. Man, yeah, but growing up, I still love it. That's still my probably my favorite sport to keep up with. I'm obsessed with Man United. <laughs> I'm a soccer junkie. Who is your favorite soccer player out there? I mean, if we go, is it Ronaldo or is it somebody else? Uh, I think Ronaldo is everyone's favorite. He can't be my for sure favorite. I think my favorite player right now yeah, Bruno Fernandez, the playmaker. How were you able to play both sports? Back in the day, I remember football and soccer being played in the fall. How were you able to uh, balance that out? Yeah, so playing high school soccer is easy because high school soccer is in the spring. But like I said, I was playing travel. So I would literally play a football game, a high school football game on Friday night. And um, I play R3PL. 
which is called Region Three Premier League. So I would, it's like the Carolinas, Georgia, Florida, and Alabama are being in a league with these teams from all of those states. So I'd get in the car, you know, after Friday night at noon in Georgia, and I drive to to Tampa, you know, or Clearwater, or, or I drive to Raleigh or wherever to play all weekend long. Yeah, it was tough, but I, mean, I loved it. No rest for the weary, huh? No rest for the weary. Uh, your father also played college football. He played for the Oklahoma Sooners for a couple of years. Did you root for Oklahoma growing up? Yes. So, I, yeah, I, I was an OU fan, and then all my friends were Georgia fans. And I say that just from the circumstances last night because I know how obnoxious they're about to be. <laughs> but I was also a giant Tim Tebow fan, so I was kind of a, a gator growing up. But I bring that up because I can vividly remember having a national championship party at my house when Oklahoma played, you know, Tim Tebow and the Gators. And it's so funny, you know, Brent Venables is, you know, coaching defense on the Sooners, and little did I know, you know, what was going to unfold in front of me. Yeah, it's true. I mean, and then he became the defensive coordinator at Clemson and recruited you out there. Did you dream about playing for the Sooners when you were a kid? No, I I wasn't like a, I rooted for the Sooners. I wasn't a big fan of any particular team, and I was open for anything. And I'm a homebody too, to be quite honest with you. So, being from Georgia, Clemson was two hours away. You know, I wanted to be two to three hours from home, also. Was that the main reason why you chose Clemson, or were there some other circumstances that kind of stood out about the Tigers coming out of high school? For me, it was all about the coaching. Clemson's a great place, full of great people. What I really focused on and what really you know, helped me make my decision was being around Coach V and Coach Sweeney, seeing the kind of man Coach Sweeney was, the kind of leader he was, you know, the kind of character he had. And it was, it's obvious when you talk to him. And then Coach V, you know, has such a similar style to what I grew up with being coached, you know, just that intensity, that in-your-face, that it's never perfect. That's what I do my best is when I'm being coached that way. And I just knew that was the perfect storm for me, and that's where I needed to be. It just I just knew it. So you're really passionate about Clemson. What will you miss the most about being a Tiger? Oh, man. We'd be on the phone for another hour if I got to talking about that list. I think the biggest thing I'll miss the most, I mean, there's, like I said, there's, God, there's so many things. But just for the generic answer, I just think the relationships and the, the people there, you just have to go to experience it. Just the family environment, atmosphere, feel so welcomed and invited and loved. I mean, it, I'm going to get cheesy with it, but it's just such a special place. And if any young guy out there is thinking about going there, and God, don't think twice, man. Go and pull the trigger. Always recruiting, man. Nice to hear it. Nice Always. to hear it. <laughs> Now, due to these circumstances, the pandemic and NCAA rules, whatever, a bunch of people got this sixth year. And the six-year guys, I guess, at Clemson, you guys got a chance to coach some of the preseason drills. What was that like? That was pretty cool. I didn't uh, participate in spring. Like, I would practice, but no live work or, you know, I'd have scrimmage days off. But that was cool, and we were deep, though, too. So, you know, it's not like I needed to be out there, you know, taking reps. You know, there's a lot of young guys who need to learn more. 
But it was cool because I'm very passionate about the game in all aspects, whether it's playing, coaching, talking, watching tape, you name it, man. Sign me up. You know, so it was cool to coach those guys, share my knowledge in a different way. Usually it's, you know, show them and then you talk about it. But that aspect, I was sharing and then watching, you know, watching them try to apply, you know, what we talked about or learned. And it was cool to be to be Coach Skowski for the spring. You think that's something you'd consider down the line? One thousand, one hundred thousand percent. You know, I keep revert, you know, going back to this little saying. It's just about people talking about you. You won't work a day in your life if you do something you love. And I, to me, like, I mean, this isn't work. This isn't like I get to go do this. Like I'm about to go work out right after this. And to me, I'm so excited that my job is to literally go get myself in shape. To, to go play a game and then, you know, expanding on that with the coaching side. It just sounds so fun to me to just a chance to pour into young people, to get better, to play a sport they love, to be around a sport you love. And, man, there's just so many, you know, upsides and great things about the game yeah, in all aspects, playing and coaching. I just – I want to be a part of it. Now, you all have had so much success at your time at Clemson. I mean, a down year is, is like more than one loss or actually one loss. I think in some cases it's, you know, that you're held to such a high standard. You guys end up losing three games this year. You mentioned some obstacles that you faced. I mean, outside of injuries, I mean, what did you mean by that? Injuries, I mean, you said outside of it, but that was a, that was a big factor. We had a lot of guys go down. You know, when things aren't going so great, uh, when you're sitting there two and two, man, you get a little unraveled. And I think it would be easy for a team to break, you know, to, to rip apart. And uh, and some people did. You know, you see transfers, you see people with frustration, this, that, the other. So you see, you saw the rope get frayed. But, as far, but keeping it together, you know, that was the challenge. And then, you know, we have one side of the ball that was playing really well um, defensively in our offense. They'd say it too. I mean, they struggled uh, beginning of the year, especially, and just to kind of see them bring it, you know, at the end of the year and balance the team out. And when we had to have it most, they delivered on some in some big moments for some games. So there's just a lot of unseen, unrecognized struggle that we see within on a you know on a normal Tuesday, but you know the, the world doesn't see it till Saturday. So just watching the team deal with injuries, transfers you know, just not playing well, which is what we're not used to around here. And coming together and putting in work and leading, it was this really special group of guys. I'm really happy I got to, to experience this year with them. Well, you mentioned being the glue and holding things together. Was there like an example of something that you had to do that kind of kept things moving in the right direction? I won't get it too much, you know, or you know, toot my own horn. But I, I think we had, I mean, just all the six years, a part of that team, you know, between me and Nolan Turner, Will Spires, you know, Darian Wrencher, you know, KJ Henry's, you know, Will Sweeney's an older guy, you know, Reagan Upshaw's a six year. Well, we just had a lot of experienced leaders and we have, you know, a lot of structure within Clemson football as far as like leadership councils and, you know, senior meetings, Sweeney meetings, you know, so there's a lot of these panels or these groups that get together before a team meeting even happens that, and we talk about what's wrong and what needs to be fixed and where we're, where we're going to fix that. And I think a lot of that happened this year. So there wasn't any moment where I'm, I mean, I'm sure there was where I, you know, stood up and said something, but I would rather give credit to, you know, that whole C 
six-year group, that whole senior group who just did such a good job at demanding the standard and fighting even things things weren't going well and uh, just showing you know a younger group of guys. I think those young guys learned a lot and they'll carry it with them the rest of their career. So outside of football, we all see, you know, Coach Sweeney, Dabo's obviously well-known man in the United States and has been ultimately successful. What has he meant to you personally, just like as a man? What would you say one of the top things that you've kind of taken from him? My dad passed away when I was a freshman. Coach Sweeney's right there. You know, he's been there the whole way. I mean, he's been like a father figure, to be honest. Him and V, you know, they've been like little father figures for me. But the biggest thing I think I've ever learned from Coach Sweeney and that I can take with me every single day is I hit on it earlier about the opt-out question. It's perspective. Just everyone's going through something, right? Everyone's got a challenge. You know, everyone's got a dream. As for everyone, Everyone's got it in the world. And just your perspective on those things, and how you choose to view your situation, view your life or your struggle, and then use it. I mean, that's the biggest thing that I've learned from Coach Sweeney. That outside of, you know, being a godly man and a Christian, which he is and shows and wears on his sleeve every day. And I respect the hell out of him for, for doing that and for, for being that figure for a lot of young guys who need it. But perspective that you gain from being around him and just the understanding that, you know, just keep on keeping on. Everything's going to be okay. It gets powerful, you know, and I, and I get to leave Clemson, you know, going to the real world as a young adult, knowing that it's, it's very freeing and, and I love it, man. I just, like I said, don't, don't think twice about going to Clemson. You were around Trevor Lawrence for a while. Obviously this was like, like the can't miss kid <laughs> coming out of high school, you know, obviously hitting, hitting some reality there with the Jaguars, but, you know, hopefully they'll get things turned around and he looked like he had a pretty good game on Sunday. But give us an under-the-radar characteristic of Trevor, something that maybe fans don't see. Man, that's hard. I mean, he's an extremely normal guy. Everyone who asked me about Trevor when I was playing with him, they want to know, oh, is he is he like a bad guy? Is he like full of himself? Does he think he's all that? Or and it's like the like the exact opposite of that is because everyone wants him to be that everyone wants him because he's got everything i mean if you if you stay next to him in person it's like sitting next to a demigod the guy's 66 220 and i mean he just it looks like a freak of nature because he is so everyone wants him to be this bad dude but he is such a genuine good freaking person the guy is the most level-headed person i've ever met with, with all the the noise and the people and the the fame I mean, he is so grounded. He knows exactly who he is and what he brings to the table, and he's so confident in that. And that's what makes Trevor Lawrence Trevor Lawrence. You know, that's why he's the number one pick. That's why he's leading the franchise. That's why he will be successful. You know, this is a bump on the road for sure. I mean, all of us at Clemson know that. He's going to be just fine. As far as under the radar, has he had a chance to go under the radar for one second? I mean, think <laughs> about his life the past five, six years. I mean, it's been in the spotlight. So I think – Trevor wears who he is on his sleeve. He's proud of it. He lets everyone know. And uh, it it was so special sharing a locker room with him. What has your uh, former defensive coordinator, Brent Venables, meant to the Clemson program? You call him Coach V. What has he meant to the Tigers? I mean, a lot. He said it himself in his interview with being head coach. He's changed you know, more in 10 years than he has his whole life at Clemson. I think that's a 
a testament to Coach Sweeney and, like I said, the, the kind of perspective he drills and the kind of person he helps you grow to become. But V brought a different side that Clemson needed, you know, in that 10 years. He brought this intensity and tenacity and this I-will-not-be-denied attitude. Such a unique mix of coaching with my, you know, six years there between Coach Sweeney and V and Elliot. And I know things are changing, and it's going to be very cool to see it change. But from my experience, you know, my six years, it was just such a perfect mix, if you ask me. I think they worked together so well. And he brought this level of grittiness that Clemson needed to insert it kind of in the DNA. It has definitely solidified itself now. You know, with his 10 years there, it is, it is there for good, for sure. He has left his mark. Well, the Sooners have been known for their offense under Lincoln Riley, but they couldn't stop anybody on defense. I would assume that you expect Coach Venables to uh, turn that Sooners defense into a top five, top ten program in a couple of years. Yeah, everyone says every year Oklahoma's got all this talent and they can't figure it out on the defensive side or just missing final coach or piece. I'll tell you one thing, they got their they got their coach. I mean, they they got a guy. If they don't do well in defense, I will be I mean, I'll put my life on it that they're going to do well. I just know coach B. Like they're they're going to play good defense. They have to. If they don't, the world is stop spinning. <laughs> so, how did the Bruce brothers come about? You know, I think that's just coach Sweeney. He got to give credit to coach Sweeney. He said it one one evening on a in one of his interviews, and, you know, me and Balin just been kind of killing it, I guess. We were just playing well, and we vibed together. You know, we're, we're always around each other watching the film, so it's easy to, to group us together. Me, him, and Nolan, we were just all we basically just moving a pack, you know, during the season between treatment film and eating and whatever it is. But, uh, but yeah, we're just playing well, and he gets creative with his comparison. So he said, Bruce Brothers, I think our media team, like, made a shirt or made a little graphic, and then the rest is history. Now, if you go to the link in my bio, you can get a Bruce Brothers shirt for uh, any size you need. I saw the picture, and I could, but I couldn't tell. Are you Jake or Elwood? I don't even know. See, I don't even. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good question because I don't even know which one's which. Have you ever seen the movie Blues Brothers? John Belushi not. and Dan Aykroyd. Yeah, I have not seen it. Well, you got to see it now. <laughs> so then you'll figure out you'll figure out after you see the movie which one you are. But how are t-shirt sales? Oh, they're going pretty cool. Yeah, we have a little deal with uh, me and Balin signed an NI deal with uh, Fan Arch, and you know they do a great job at promoting it and and uh, doing all the distributing and all that. So shout out to Fan Arch. What's the best part about playing linebacker? To me, linebacker is like you get the best of both worlds. And when I mean best of both worlds, I mean like the back seven, you know, in space, in coverage. You know, you get to do the seven on sevens, right? The ball is flying across the middle of the field, jump up and make a play. And then you get the grittiness of the box, the powers, the cat. Like, so to me, linebacker is like the best of both worlds. You get to – you get to live both. You get nasty in the box and you get physical, and then you get to get on space and run and cover and, and catch, and so, and and you get to run the show too. So it's like you're playing quarterback. But to me, it's like the most overall well-rounded you know position. <laughs> James, who was your favorite linebacker growing up in the NFL? Who who did you watch on film? 
Ray Lewis. Ray Lewis every day of the week. Now my say my favorite's Bobby Wagner. Well, I'm I'm a Cowboys fan, <laughs> to be fair. <laughs> Just his style, that Ray Lewis, that general, he's calling the defense. You need a big play, look to me. Like, that guy's so inspirational to me. I'm getting chills thinking about Ray Lewis. Like, ah. Oh. The way he played the game, the emotion he played with, and just those leadership, man, it's just, God, you want that so bad. Well, there you go. Uh, James rooting for the Sooners when he was a kid, loved Tim Tebow in Florida. His dad played at Oklahoma. He played at Clemson. He's a Cowboys fan. So being from Georgia, you have no <laughs> attachment to the, the state uh, where you grew up. Yeah, so I'm not a big Falcons fan, and don't get me wrong, I want, I love to see them do well. But my dad's from Dallas. I got a lot of family that lives in Dallas. I'm just always rooting for them Cowboys. I want to see the Falcons do well. You know, I was happy to see the Braves win it. Georgia win it last night. Like, you know, not my fave, but it's cool for the state. Here we go. You know, so I'm all for it. All right, it's that time of the show where you can, uh, you know, plug anything that you have going on, like those T-shirt sales, or uh, give out your uh, social media handles. Go ahead. Yeah, just at James Skowski on Instagram and uh, and Twitter. Y'all, you'll give me a follow. You just, I love connecting with all the fans. You know, I, in my bio, I got fan arts, cameos, Cato collar. If you're interested in, in looking like me on the field, you want to be a big cowboy collar. We got that in the bio too. So. But I appreciate you guys for having me on. It's been a blast. James, good luck the rest of the way. It was, uh, it was a pleasure having you on. No problem, man. Y'all be good. Thanks again to James Skalski, the bullet linebacker from Clemson. Great to catch up with him and look forward to that uh, Bruce Brothers tag. So, a bunch of coaches are out, Alex. You know, Obviously, we knew Meyer and Gruden were gone. But, okay, you've got Fangio out. Nagy was out, which, you know, again, everybody knew. We pretty much knew those were coming. Nagy, for sure. Zimmer was on the fence, but he was leaning to getting rid of. And then the surprise. There's always a surprise. And Brian Flores gets fired in Miami, which is just incredulous to me. I don't know. Rubbing people the wrong way in the building. Uh, relationship with two, you know, all these different stories coming out, but that was one. And then the Giants kind of waited a few days and finally let go of Joe Judge after Gettleman, air quotes, retired. What do you think? Do you think there's going to be more? No, I think this is it. I really do. I mean, I can't see anybody like who has snuck into the playoffs, who is in danger of maybe losing his job if he doesn't win that wild card game. I do think the Brian Flores firing is insane. Certainly the most surprising one. His regular season record is 24 and 25. This team finished 9 and 8. All right. They won eight of their last nine games, Lou. The players were playing hard for him. He had support in that locker room. It's obvious that he had support because they were fighting for him after that horrendous start. They beat the Patriots twice this season. There's got to be more to this story. I mean, there's got to be something that Flores didn't get along with the ownership. He didn't get along with Chris Greer. Maybe he wasn't pushing for Tua moving forward. Maybe he wasn't a believer. Or possibly it's those coaching hires that did him in. Because, I mean, he did go and recycle 
his coaching staff quite a bit over the last three years. It seems like every year he was hiring somebody and firing somebody after just one year. Maybe that was, you know, not having that continuity on the coaching staff and kind of getting rid of one guy and then bringing in another system. And that probably didn't play well with the offensive scheme, with the offense that struggled and the quarterbacks. That's got to be it because somebody is going to be lining up to hire Brian Flores as quickly as possible. And from what I understand, he's already got a couple of interviews lined up. Well, I know the Bears, you know, that was the first report is the Bears were bringing him in for an interview immediately. I don't think he got fired for anything that re- that happened on the field. I think it was all off-field stuff. And you mentioned the coaches. I mean, that's the one thing. Is he, is he wearing these guys down? And, and these Belichick disciples, they've all kind of run into the same thing, except Flores was winning, where Patricia was losing and rubbing people the wrong way, so he had to go. Uh, you know, McDaniels had his opportunity and I think at a certain point that kind of wears on people where Bill kind of is the king in New England and Kraft is not going to fire him ever so he can do whatever the hell he wants but some of these guys I think are running into where the ownership may not be that close where Stephen Ross is kind of a New York real estate magnate billionaire whatever and he kind of shows up when they need him to show up, maybe goes to games and that. But I don't think he's there every day. Greer, although, has been there for 20 years. And somehow, guy that's mismanaged a bunch of drafts, effed up that, that offensive line. What can you say? You know, the coach gets fired. So was the general manager in the owner's ear listing all these complaints and this is why we're losing not the guys that i drafted who aren't quite living up to what i thought they'd be it's the coach you know if other people are complaining about the coach kyle van noy signs down there for one year and he knew the culture right i mean he came from new england and all of a sudden he goes back after a year so yeah i'm sure flores has some of this to shoulder but i think a lot of it is off field political dysfunction in the in the organization so he's not going to be unemployed very long at all i would venture to guess he's going to have a choice of a few of these jobs no question two and a half months ago joe judge was safe with the new york giants because he had he was safe two he was safe a week or two ago they were saying but the giants went on a six game losing streak the last couple of weeks they weren't competitive at all I mean, he seemed to lose that locker room because he lost a lot of people to injuries, just like Flores did. He didn't have his quarterback. You know, his running back was down. Uh, Wide receivers were down. That offense was just playing like, you know, third stringers out there. But it was so evident that these guys who are probably not going to keep their jobs next season, they were fighting for their jobs because they're backups. They weren't playing hard for him. I mean, the Giants were embarrassed the past couple of weeks. Obviously, I picked against them. It didn't matter who they were playing. I would pick against them because it just seemed like, again, they backed up the U-Haul trucks, packed and said, okay, we're, we're done. And yes, the injuries were a part of that too, where you had guys like Jake Fromm starting a, a quarterback, Mike Glennon, then he got gets hurt. A lot of guys in and out of the lineup. And I just think, again, you hate to say it, but another Bill Belichick disciple goes in and I think probably rubbed a lot of guys the wrong way, didn't like his message, 
didn't like the way he's delivering his message. And the GM goes, now that you knew that was a foregone conclusion, but now it's like, okay, you're going to bring a GM in. Are you going to bring in somebody with New England roots who like likes Joe Judge? Whoever they brought in probably didn't know much about Joe Judge other than what they've seen on the field. And what they've seen on the field is garbage. So I think this is the Giants saying, okay, we're going to start over again, except this time GM and coach come in at the same time and hopefully they're in lockstep and can get this thing moving in the right direction. they got to fix that offensive line. I mean, that's the biggest problem they have because they've got some good skill players. I don't know about the quarterback. I mean, I think that's going to be a major issue, too, for the next regime. Judge probably will resurface in New England doing something on that staff, and maybe he'll get a chance in another few years. There's a theme here, at least the last two guys. Well, he stepped into it, to be honest with you. Did you hear that press conference that he had? I did. It was embarrassing. I wouldn't act like this. I mean, I'm not making, you know, millions and millions of dollars, but I certainly wouldn't say stuff like that. It was almost like a a cry for his job. I mean, I understand that Dave Gettleman certainly is more to blame here for the poor construction of the roster. And this year, they were just trying to save themselves by signing, you know, Kenny Galladay, by doing something. Then they got rid of Jason Garrett, and the offense still struggled. Yeah, it was just a bad mix altogether. But I think the GM here is more to blame because the drafts were atrocious. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's any question about that. And like I said, I'm I'm thinking that the ownership group just decided, okay, if we're going to make this change, let's get some somebody in here that's lockstep with the coach, have them hire the coach, and we move forward. You know, Zim in Minnesota, that actually probably isn't that bad of a situation to walk into. I think the ownership group there is good. The Wilfs have done a, a, a good job of kind of stabilizing things and getting it moving in the right direction. Again, it comes down to the quarterback and, you know, Kirk Cousins, you can win some games with him. He's going to put up good stats. He's not going to kill you as a quarterback, but you're not going to win a lot of games because of Kirk Cousins. You're not going to win those big games because Kirk pulls you through. But, you know, you've got Jefferson, you've got Thielen, you've got Cook. I mean, you've got some talent on the offensive side. The defensive side, they lost a few guys and they had some injuries too. That's going to be a pretty decent job. I mean, Chicago, I think, is a pretty good job, especially if you're behind Justin Fields. Denver, defense is set up. You've got some young wide receivers. You've got running backs that can play. You've got a young tight end. Again, it's can you get the quarterback fixed? What I thought was interesting is two of the first guys that are interviewing for that job are the offensive coordinator, Nathaniel Hackett from Green Bay, who has a quarterback that's kind of iffy, and also the quarterback coach, Luke Getze, from Green Bay. So if you're trying to woo Aaron Rodgers, don't you think this is a great way to kind of get the ball rolling? Absolutely. Hey, Peyton Manning finished his career with the Denver Broncos. Why not go 
with another future Hall of Famer like Aaron Rodgers out there. By the way, can I keep Mike Zimmer as my defensive coordinator if I get the head coaching job of the Vikings? Or when I take the Denver Broncos job, can I keep Vic Fangio? Can I bring him back as my defensive coordinator? Because that would be great, right? I mean, they know the rosters. They can coach the defense. I'd keep those guys. You could flip them, I think. I don't know. (laughs) They'd really have to have no ego to just kind of tail between their legs, take a demotion, right? You know, Zimmer in Denver and Fangio in Minnesota. I think either one of them can coach any defense up. But I I hear what you're saying. I mean, yeah, that that would be great, but... You know, just from a personal standpoint, I, that would be a lot to swallow for either guy. We talked about Matt Nagy all season long, Lou. I was calling for his job even before the season started. Hallelujah that he's finally gone. Are you going to take him back with the Kansas City Chiefs? Well, it depends what happens with uh, Coach B. I think he's been um, Denver requested so far. I'm sure there will be some other teams. You hope... And again, we go through this every year, but when you instantly see the minority head coaches, you know, all of a sudden getting requests, I just hope they get a fair shot. I really do. I hope it's not just to fulfill, you know, their obligation to the Rooney rule, because a lot of these guys, Leslie Frazier included, uh, it just seems like every year they get requests, but are they really getting a full shot here? Yeah, if the enemy moves along and Nagy's of a mind or doesn't have, you know, his ego will allow him, absolutely. I think he's a great offensive coordinator. I think he's got a good relationship with uh, Patrick and with uh, Kafka. But again, it depends on what Reed's thinking with Kafka. Is he ready to take a, a, a larger piece of that responsibility of running the offense? But yeah, I think Nagy would be great. Don't take him back. Just promote Kafka if EB is gone. Out of these five jobs, and we're going to include the Raiders and the Jags in there as well, which one would you want? Wow. I mean, there's there's something to be said about each of them. But just from a, a pure football standpoint, I think Chicago is the most intriguing because you've got a pretty good core of defensive players if you can kind of keep them together. Got to make some tweaks. I mean, obviously, it's not a perfect team. Offensively, you've got a running back. You don't have a lot at receiver. I mean, Darnell Mooney's maybe would be a great number two receiver. Robinson, I don't know if he's going to stick around. You franchise tag and so forth. You know, you don't know what's going to happen there. But you got to be excited about Justin Fields and what he can do. It's a great ownership. All right. Let's just put it this way. They are a traditional ownership. They've owned that team forever, right? They've been there. The Hallis family has been there forever. Now it's Georgia McCaskey, you know, Papa Bear's daughter. But they do things a little bit differently. So let's go in with a GM and coaching team. And if I had a GM that I liked and I could work with, I think that might be the one that I land on. The other ones, I mean, Denver, you don't know what's going to happen with that ownership group, although, you know, Peyton is a great GM, at least he's shown that so far. Uh, great defense. So I would say between Chicago and Denver, although I don't know about jumping into a division against Mahomes and uh, Herbert, <laughs> and, well, Derek Carr to some degree too, but depending on if you like a challenge and you know who your quarterback is, if you know you got a shot at Aaron Rodgers, then I think that becomes the best job. Yeah, I think the Denver Broncos job is very appealing just because of that defense, but I hope they figure out what to do with that quarterback. I hope they trade for a veteran because 
they haven't gotten the right to this day. I mean, they haven't been able to draft one. They haven't been able to sign the right quarterback. I hope they have a plan in place. But I would take the Jaguars job, Lou, just because I'm a believer in Trevor Lawrence. I've got probably the best young quarterback that I can work with. Urban Meyer's debacle. I mean, I'm going in there. I'm going to be a savior if I'm going to be completely opposite of what Urban did. I think I would take the Jaguars job because I think the defense, you can only get better uh, from here on. I mean, you can't get any worse. But I would take that with a grain of salt. I want to get rid of Trent Baalke before I take that head coaching job. So if I can make that power move and get rid of the GM, then I'd take the job with the Jaguars because to me it sounds the most appealing. Who would be able to have that kind of cachet that they could get the owner in, in Jacksonville, Shad Khan, off of Trent Balky and say, you got to get rid of him and I'll take the job? It would have to be a really big name. You know, Jim Harbaugh, I think, might have the stones to pull that off. Harbaugh isn't taking the job in Jacksonville. He had a horrendous relationship with Trent that's what I, Well, that's what I'm saying is that's, I mean, you're saying if I could get, I think if Harbaugh could get him out of there, that would be one. I think Chicago's going to be interested. Miami, certainly the connection with the owner, but, you know, he's a Michigan guy, so he's trying to kind of slow play it and say, oh, I'm never going to take Harbaugh away from Michigan. But if Harbaugh decides to leave, then, of course, he would be open to hiring him. I I'm going to say Peterson. Would he be able to do that? Would he have enough kind of leverage to say, yeah, I'll take the job, but we have to get a different GM? I think Peterson can because he won a Super Bowl, and he had a, a winning record with the Eagles. He has proven that he can lead a team into the playoffs. I think he can do a power play like that. You can do it if you've accomplished some things in this league. If you've only been a coordinator in this league, like a D coordinator or offensive coordinator, you got no really shot. Difficult. Yeah, you got no yeah, shot. you got no shot. I mean, it has to be a retread coach. It has to be somebody that has been you know, a coach in this league before. And I don't think Harbaugh is going to Jacksonville. I think Harbaugh might, he might entertain in Chicago. That might be an attractive job to him because he played quarterback. So well, the other part think- is this is that this could be a little play against Michigan just to, because he had to take the pay cut, right? Last year, he had to restructure his contract, took a pay cut. Now he's gotten, the, I guess, the program back to some level that they, he got him to the college playoff. So I think he's got all the leverage in the world now in saying, hey, we've got these NFL teams that are interested too. We got this guy across town that hasn't won anything at Michigan State. You know, he's getting all the money. Franklin at Penn State, same conference. He hasn't won anything. He hasn't been to the, the college football playoff. $10 million a year, whatever, plus perks, you know, everything else. So I think there's a lot going on here around Harbaugh. I think he could certainly leave. I think, obviously, he's shown that he's a successful coach wherever he's gone, including the NFL. Had every chance to win that Super Bowl that he got him to with Colin Kaepernick at quarterback. Yeah, why not? I want to ask, what, do you think Rich Bisaccia has a chance at the, the Raiders job? Because I'm, you know, Harbaugh's name's been thrown around there, too. I'd take him, Lou. I mean, just considering what he has done to weather that storm, he's completely opposite of what John Gruden is. 
He's kind of a, you know, a guy that's a lot more low key. You don't know who he is, but sometimes you need to hire those guys. You know, it's not a sexy name. He's not going to bring a lot of appeal, but the one thing is the players are playing hard for him. It was a really difficult position to be in, and obviously he was able to calm the storm, to weather the storm, to calm that situation down, and look what they did. I mean, they won four straight games and got into the playoffs. So absolutely, I'm pulling for him. I think he's got a shot and I hope they hire him because that would show a vote of confidence based on what he has done. It's not about getting Harbaugh or Zimmer or Flores or whoever it is that they want to get. It's about whether your team is responding to a coach and they are. Yeah, I would keep him. I think the only guy that got fired that has a chance to like immediately jump back in is Flores. I don't think there's any question about that. I don't think any of these guys are going to get another shot to be a head coach anytime soon. Zim, does he really want it? You know, I'm not that he's an old guy, but Fangio is. I can certainly see him sticking as a D coordinator, and I'm sure Harbaugh would take him in a heartbeat no matter where he goes. Because he's worked with them in the past, and that's you know the, those relationships will stick. And Fangio obviously is a great coacher of defense. You know the Chiefs will attest to that. You know twice a year. I mean, even though they've kind of dominated them, they always have a difficult time scoring points against that defense. So anyway, those are the coaches that are out. I'm sure this is going to go on for a while. We'll be talking about it in the coming weeks. So for Alex, I'm Lou. Please subscribe, folks. Don't forget. Don't miss a show. We're going to be piling up here soon. Enjoy the weekend. Peace.